right, this is it. It is your weekend edition of The Voice of One, The VU, episode 77. Seems like a good number, 7-7. Seven, seven. That's right, your weekend edition is here for Saturday, February 20, year of our Lord 2021. Woody Cumbie, your host on The VU, bringing you the Igloo Blend of coffee, current events, faith, and FSU sports. Now, speaking of FSU sports, today, big day for men's sports at FSU with uh, FSU baseball, baseball, the bats. First pitch today, 2 p.m. at Dick Hauser Stadium as the 2021 season gets underway with uh, new skipper Mike Martin, Jr., Last year should have been the first year, but it was decimated basically by uh, the COVID. Basically, just canceled out the season. So uh, he's waited a whole a whole year to uh, take over, really, and uh, coach some baseball games. So we'll see how it goes today. Opening pitch at two p.m. at Dick Hauser Stadium. Then the Knolls, the Knolls hoops, the hoops. Yeah, they're on a roll, but they're going to have to take their roll to a different spot because. Yeah, there's been a schedule switch due to COVID with the Virginia Tech Hokies. FSU now traveling to Pitt for a 4 p.m. tip with the Panthers today. All right, folks, now today, today, a rare and seldom successful five-segment VU. <laughs> That's right. So we've tried this before. We just, we, we've never quite made it, but we're going to try it again. All right, here's the segments for today. Five-segment VU. Half bad news, no joke, as predicted, leftist lunacy, and Temple Mount. Those are your five segments. But first, to make the five-segment VU even a higher degree of difficulty, I'm going to take time away (laughs) for the promised coffee review. That's right, new coffee. A new coffee to review. It's an off-the-shelf, off-the-shelf standard brand, Folgers. Folgers, that's right. So... Uh, they have a new line. I was uh, in the grocery the other day. I was looking in the coffee section thinking, okay, what can I check out? Uh, and uh, I have uh, run across this new uh, brand from uh, Folgers Coffee. Our friends over in Orville, Ohio have put out a new, a new label. It's, um, it's called Noir, N-O-I-R, Noir right? One of those, hi, y'all, it's noir. I st- <laughs> it's not one of those easy words, noir. Okay, so, and there's three of them. It's like a, it's like a triplicate, right? A trinity of noirs. And uh, I guess they are from the darkest dark roast to the medium dark roast. So I got the medium dark roast under the noir label, and it's called Golden Dusk. It says medium dark roast with medium body and complex finish. That's what I've always wanted, really, is a medium body <laughs> and a complex finish. All right, so uh, <laughs> uh, it says, uh, with Folgers Noir, discovered the delightful taste of complex dark coffee. Carefully selected 100% Arabica beans are expertly roasted to create a coffee that is deliciously dark yet smooth. Explore all the rich, satisfying flavors that make Folgers Noir sure to please the senses. So, um, anyway, hold on just a second. 
It's actually not bad. I'm telling you now, it's not bad. If you're if you're a dark dark coffee, uh, if you're dark into dark coffee, this is this is actually not bad. I'm still this is my second uh, batch, and uh, playing a little bit with it. So it, it comes in. Of course, it's Folgers, so it's in a canister of ground. Right, you're not getting it in whole bean anything like that. So it's just a drip coffee. So uh, I'm experimenting a little bit with. Uh, you know, with with getting the the right uh, the right ratio of coffee and all that. So, uh, but I'm telling you, not not bad for for like just a Folgers, just a store brand uh, dark coffee. Not bad, not bad. So, uh, Noir Golden Dusk. Hold on. Yeah, and. Uh, now we'll say this about it. It's it's in it's in, it's in a little bit smaller canister than the typical. So they're they're and but it but it costs the same. So yeah, you're paying a little bit of an upcharge to get this uh, this dark roast coffee. But they understand there's a dark roast trend out there, and uh, they are responding to the trend. All right, folks. Uh, all right, so we're gonna get going. We're gonna go on our five. We're gonna attempt the uh, the rare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the rare five-segment VU, half bad news, no joke, as predicted, leftist lunacy, and Temple Mount. All right? So I'll be right back with half bad news. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the first of five segments Half bad news. Now here's the here's the half bad side uh, of the news, and that is a story from February nineteenth. In uh, well, multiple sources. Here's the headline: Ivanka Trump will not challenge Rubio for Senate. It says Ivanka Trump will not challenge Senator Marco Rubio. Republican Florida for his Senate seat in 2022, a source familiar with the matter confirmed to the Hill. New York Times first reported on the development on Thursday, citing an unidentified source. And uh, then uh, Nick Iacovella, spokesman for Rubio, told the New York Times, Marco did speak with Ivanka a few weeks ago. Ivanka offered her support for Marco's re-election. They had a great talk. Well, that is indeed bad news. All right, but there's good news. Laura Trump, Laura Trump, according to CNN Politics, Laura Trump, I Senate bid in North Carolina. It would be an incredible thing. This is according to Betsy Klein, CNN. And uh, this is, uh, says amid rumblings that President Trump could mount another presidential run in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Voters may see a Trump on the ballot before that. Laura Trump, the president's daughter-in-law and campaign advisor, expressed her openness Wednesday to a 2022 Senate bid in her native North Carolina. It would be an incredible thing. It's my home state, a state I love so much. And look, I think we need some strong Republicans in Washington, D.C., we had a great run with the Senate and the House this go-around, but, you know, let's see what happens, she said during an appearance on Fox News. Let's get through this one, and then we'll talk about the next one, she added. All right, so there's a possibility, and apparently uh, Lindsey Graham, I think, has uh, already lent his support to a Laura Trump run 
for Senate in North Carolina. All right. So uh, now wouldn't that be something? Laura Trump, North Carolina, Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump for Congress in South Florida. Maybe, maybe. Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. That takes me to no joke, to no joke. Now, um, let's go to Poland. Uh, (laughs) This is according to BPR Business and Politics. Uh, Poland makes historic move to block social media censorship. It says, uh, Poland is preparing a historic move with legislation aimed at cracking down on big tech by using massive fines to stop media giants from censorship of users in their country. Uh, Deputy uh, Polish Justice Minister Sebastian Kalita is the author of the legislation taking aim at big tech. In an interview with Fox News, he claimed that, quote, media companies have far too long been targeting conservatives, Christianity, and traditional values by banning them and removing posts, and the Polish government is saying enough. We see that when big tech decides to remove content for political purposes, it is mostly content which praises traditional values or praises conservatism, the lawmaker charged. And it is deleted under their hate speech policy when it has no legal right to do so. All right, and so they're proposing a $13.5 million fine uh, if uh, the, the big tech uh, violates Polish law in uh, banning uh, some user for purposes that they don't think is val- are valid. So, yeah, the polls, they're stepping up, ladies and gentlemen, stepping up, willing to say things that uh, folks in the United States are not willing to step up and say, right? Did you hear what that guy said? And this is what we've said all along, is that uh, the censorship is strictly about conservative, conservative political views, traditional values, and, wait for it, Christianity. And it's all banned under, what did he say? hate speech. Stay tuned, folks, because that's the trajectory, unless we get some folks in Washington that uh, actually know how to stand up for our values. Okay, so uh, no joke, right over there in Poland. Now, uh, number three, as predicted, as predicted. Now, folks, you know, before the uh, uh, election, as we call it the election, Uh, Before that uh, moment in early November, uh, we predicted that if uh, if uh, Sleepy Joe, Demented Joe, got in uh, to office, that uh, COVID would go away. Now, we predicted that. Right. And so one of the first things that happened, of course, was CNN took the death ticker off of their screen. Right. Because that was uh, that. So why did they take it off as soon as he was elected? Because it was only up there for political purposes. It wasn't up there for educational, informational purposes. It wasn't up there to help you understand what was happening with COVID. It was up there for political purposes. All right, so they took that down right away. But now, now, uh, we have this. We have this. That's right. Uh, We have herd immunity by April, by April. 
Uh, here is Wall Street Journal. It's an opinion uh, by Marty McCary, and he is, let me scroll all the way down to tell you who he is. He is professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and Bloomberg School of Public Health and chief medical advisor to Sesame Care and author of The Price We Pay. Now, he writes this opinion piece, and here's what he says. He writes, in part, he says, amid the dire COVID warnings, one crucial fact has been largely ignored. That means unreported. Cases are down 77% over the past six weeks. Now, let's just stop right there. Uh, Remember, this segment is called As Predicted. Isn't it interesting that uh, now that Biden is in, just as we predicted, COVID is, is vanishing? Now, here's why he says it's happening. He says, in large part, because natural immunity from prior infection is far more common than can be measured by testing. And he goes on to say that there may be uh, that as many as 55 percent of Americans may have had some brush with COVID, even if the symptoms were really mild, and therefore they have um, they have natural immunity. And so, uh, and then, uh, 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 as of last week, 15% of Americans have received a vaccine. So, uh, the fact is, he says, that we are racing toward an extremely low level of infection. Now, he goes on to say that, da, 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 he talks about, uh, the, again, he keeps talking about how many people have been in, uh, infected And then he says, uh, in my own conversations with medical experts, I've noticed that they too often dismiss natural immunity, arguing that we don't have the data. Man, that's the card right off the top of the deck, right? The data certainly doesn't fit the classic randomized controlled trial model of old guard medical establishment. There is no control group, but the observational data is compelling. That's right. Once in a while, you just have to open your eyes, look around, and say, no, we don't have a study for it, but just look around. What does it look like? Right? And and make some kind of judgment. All right? So anyway, um, that's good news. It's good news, but it's as predicted. Meanwhile, in Germany, in Germany, also as predicted, it turns out that, yes, despite what the WHO group said, the Wuhan lab was the cause of the COVID-19. This, according to an award-winning scientist, in a new study citing 600 pieces of evidence. This from the National Post. I also read this uh, similar story in a Swiss uh, uh, scientific outlet. It says a new study from renowned University of Hamburg researcher Roland Weisendanger concludes that Wuhan Institute of Virology was the cause of the COVID-19. And so he, uh, he says, to date, there is no scientifically based uh, rigorous evidence for the, the, this, according to this, uh, this scientist, uh, He's the three-time recipient of the prestigious European Research Council grant, 
And he says there's no scientifically based rigorous evidence for the for the thing coming from the bats, from coming from nature, from any of that. They they have no when they talk about, well, we don't have the data, they don't have the data to prove that. Then this German scientist goes on to point out that they, he has 600 pieces of data that confirm that what most likely happened was a scientist was careless at the Wuhan lab and that there was, a, there was an accident, there was a release of this coronavirus, and uh, the, China has never owned up to it. And in my opinion, what I believe is that uh, the WHO has... Uh, has <laughs> has not thoroughly investigated it. They've taken China's word for it, even last week, and uh, and so and anyway, our own our own uh, experts have also taken uh, the WHO's uh, word for it. But the fact of the matter is, we all know that it came from the Wuhan lab, and that's the fact. It's the China virus, and we know it. Okay, folks, three segments down. Two to go at the 1745 mark. Hold on just a moment. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We're back at the 18-minute mark with segment four of five. That's right. We might make it. We might make it. Are you cheering? Are you standing up? Are you clapping? Did you shout out loud, he's going to make it? That's right. This is segment four, <laughs> segment four or five. Leftist lunacy. Leftist. I might get bogged down here. You never can tell. But I want to get to Temple Mount. Temple Mount. You want to hear about the Temple Mount? All right. Leftist lunacy first. All right. So, folks, leftist. They're loons. And here is the latest uh, loon observation from the Detroit Free Press. All right. And this is by Grace Hawk. Uh, It's actually from USA Today, reprinted in Detroit uh, Free Press. It says, do Lincoln, Washington, and Washington deserve statues? Chicago flags 41 controversial monuments for scrutiny. And so Dateline Chicago says city leaders on Wednesday flagged 41 controversial monuments, plaques, and artworks for public discussion months after the mayor you know, the Chicago mayor, uh, formed a committee to review the city's collection in wake of a series of protests related to monuments last summer. And the story goes on to say this. Some of the monuments flagged by the committee promote narratives of white supremacy or present demeaning characterization of American Indians, according to the committee. The flagged works include depictions of Christopher Columbus, Leif Erikson, Sir Francis Drake, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, William McKinley, and others. There you go, folks. Uh, Yeah, you can read the article for yourself in the Detroit Free Press or USA Today or probably in Chicago Tribune and uh, learn about their targeting of these statues. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you now can self-identify. You can self-identify 
as a uh, white supremacist or or something uh, or something on the spectrum. Now, here, this is from Gateway Pundit. It says, uh, pure racism. New York City principal sends home white identities list to parents to convert them to white traitors stage of whiteness. It says, critical theory watchdog Christopher Rufo reported on Monday that the principal of a New York school sent a list of white identities to white parents so that they could try to convert themselves from white supremacist to white abolitionist. This is the East Side Community School teacher even included a white supremacism spectrum for parents to self-identify. So this thing kind of looks like uh, uh, it has eight white identities. And so what it's got is like um, uh, a fan opened up. It's like a half circle. And, uh, <clears throat> and so you've got over to the left, you've got uh, uh, white supremacist, and over to the right... Uh, on the line, you've got white abolitionist, and then kind of the fan opens up around, and it goes from red over at white supremacist over into the green, bright green, over into white abolitionist. Now, here are the categories which you can use to self-identify. White supremacist, one up from that is white voyeurism, and then there's, of course, white privilege. This is still in the red, moving to orange. Then kind of in the yellow up near the top is white benefit and white confessional. Moving into the green is white critical and white traitor. And finally, you get to white abolitionist. Okay, and then um, according to Barnard Hess, uh, this is what was sent home according to, the, um, according to this article. It says uh, there is a regime of whiteness, and there are action-oriented white identities. People who identify with whiteness are one of these. It's about time we build an ethnogeography of whiteness, since white people have been the ones writing about and governing others. Um, so I'm not sure what that sentence even means, but that's what it, what it said. So uh, over on the one end, there's white supremacist, which they describe as clearly marked white society that preserves names and values white superiority, okay? And so it goes on and on and on. Let's go around to uh, white critical, right? This is when you're really making progress, white critical. You take on board, uh, board critiques of whiteness and invest in exposing and marking the white regime. Refuses to be complicit with the regime, whiteness speaking back to whiteness. Number seven, white traitor. Actively refuses complicity, names what's going on. Intention is to subvert white authority and to tell the truth at whatever cost. Need them to, listen, dismantle institutions. This is what I've been saying all along. This is a Marxist. This is a Marxist. This is just one train. This is one car in a Marxist train, right? This whole CRT. Here's white abolitionists changing institutions, dismantling whiteness. Key, the key word is dismantling and not allowing whiteness to reassert itself. Now, look, we're all against racism, and uh, racism is, is a sin. It's unbiblical. And uh, we oppose racism everywhere it is. But this whole critical race theory thing is nothing 
but a Marxist um, platform. All right, so there's that. And then that brings me to Got Milk. That brings me to Got Milk. Did you see this? Now, this, we're talking left lunacy. Left lunacy. This is from channel, a news channel 11, WJHL, uh, in somewhere. All right, it says... Uh, <laughs> It says, some move to change breast milk to chest or human milk in effort to be more conclusive, inclusive. Felicia Bolton posted this, uh, Chicago, a news station now. There is a push by some healthcare professionals to change the term breast milk to chest milk. In the United Kingdom, one hospital made international headlines for changing the term breast milk to human milk. It's an effort to be more inclusive to transgender and non-binary parents. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Wow. It's the world. It's the world, the Western world, primarily, folks. The Western world. Now, this lunacy isn't happening in some parts of the world, but it's happening in the West. So, uh, wow. Wow. All right, folks. Uh <laughs> Meanwhile, let's go to some news that I think is very interesting. Temple Mount News. Now, here's this is the I'm bringing you this from MoroccoWorldNews.com. MoroccoWorldNews.com. Saudi lawyer. This is a Muslim area, Morocco, right? Saudi lawyer claims Al Aqsa Mosque is in Saudi Arabia, not Jerusalem. You say, now what's the Al Aqsa Mosque? Well, it's that mosque that has the golden dome on it that you see in all the photos of Jerusalem up on the Temple Mount, right? That, that one, the one that's most photographed, has the Golden Dome. That's called the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So this article, published in Morocco World News, but Dateline Rabat, Saudi Arabia, says this, Saudi lawyer Usama Yamani made controversial remarks claiming that Al-Aqsa Mosque is not in Jerusalem but in Saudi Arabia. The lawyer published an opinion piece in Okaz News Outlet. That's the it's actually a, a state uh, news outlet in in Saudi Arabia. Okaz. Anyway, this lawyer published an opinion piece with the Okaz News Outlet, saying that millions of Muslims had wrong answers for years regarding the location of Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in Islam. And he says that uh, this is just one of those things that's been in history books forever, and people just buy it. But the fact of the matter is, he goes on to argue that uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque was actually in a, in a village, which he identifies, that's uh, about 18 miles northeast of Mecca. And so, uh, very interesting news that uh, a Saudi uh, outlet, official outlet, the state agency, the state newspaper would allow a Muslim cleric to, to even publish this piece. Now, critics in the region are saying this is all political, that uh, this, is, this is a lead-up to Saudi trying to normalize relations with uh, Netanyahu and, and uh, with Israel, and they're trying to take away the tension uh, that has to do with the Temple Mount. But think about this. If, in fact, this idea were to prevail, remember now... Every time you talk about the third temple uh, prophesied in uh, the Scripture, the Holy Scripture, the Bible, every time you talk about the building of the third temple, 
uh, people will automatically say, oh, it'll cause the Third World War. It's the Third World War. You know, and well, what if, what if uh, the, it became a Muslim consensus that uh, that mosque on the Temple Mount uh, isn't really a place that Muhammad's ever visited at all, that it's not really a Muslim holy site uh, of, of, of any significance at all? Uh, well, that would change everything. That would change everything, right? And so very interesting potential end times uh, headline buried buried and missed by most that don't read the Moroccan Times. <laughs> I don't read the Moroccan Times, but I just happen to have run across it. All right, folks. All right. Well, hey, we made it through all five, went a little long. We're going to stop short of 30 minutes. But I hope that you enjoy your weekend edition as you're driving around doing your errands. And we'll see you back on Monday for VU 78. God bless you guys. And we'll see you then.